Hey, what is going on? How are you? Welcome to another episode of Purpose Driven Entrepreneur. I'm Matt. Uh, I'm here, of course, streaming live on Facebook. And uh, I'm super, super excited about this week. It is Monday, about uh, a little after six. And uh, we are just getting started for the day. Something interesting came up this week, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. So um, turn up the volume, grab about 10 minutes or so, maybe 15, and hang out with me for a little bit. I promise you this will be awesome. So we're going to talk today about decisiveness. Have you ever felt indecisive? Um, I find a lot of people over the years, um, one of the major problems we run into is feeling indecisive. So the question I always have is, okay, well, different scenarios bring uh, different feelings about making decisions, uh, positive or negative. Sometimes people say, I can't make a decision under pressure. Sometimes people say, I have so many options, I don't know what to choose. Other people say, I feel stuck and, and, and I don't like any of my options and I don't know what to do. Um, sometimes it's, oh, those shoes are on sale, but oh, do I have the money for it? I don't really know. And we get this internal like struggle. So if you relate to having an internal struggle around making good quality decisions and feeling confident and congruent about them after, this is for you. I'm going to hit three quick strategies that will transform the way you make all decisions in your life. Are you ready? Are you ready? All right, let's jump right into it. So, uh, I, you know, well, let me start with this, the, the little quick pre-frame. Excuse me, before we even get into um, the three different uh, keys or the three different strategies, the first thing to do before anything, this is just a pre-frame, is to get into a decisive state. You got to start by just being in, in, in the emotion or the state of decisiveness. Last week on the podcast, I talked about the difference between fear and certainty, right? And how fear has usually an incongruent, asymmetrical posture. Maybe you put all your weight on one side of your body. Maybe you're sitting down looking to the side. Whereas congruence or certainty, generally it's going to be symmetrical as far as having your weight distributed evenly. You stand on both feet, right? I'm sitting down to do this podcast if you're looking at me. Um, but you know, you're, you're, you're standing or sitting like certain. You might breathe deeper, look up into the sky, you know, looking up rather than down. So the first thing I'm going to say is if you want to be decisive, if you want to be really congruent with your decisions, start with a physiology of decisiveness and decide from there. Don't sit around going chicken or fish. I don't know what to do. Like start knowing that you know that you know that you know. Okay, so that's number one. Uh, let's get into the three strategies. So I got a few notes here. I actually pulled all of this from this bad boy right here. I don't know if you can see that. Um, there you go on the close-up view. This is my uh, NLP practitioner home study manual. Uh, it's a home study course. Really, really cool. It's it's packed full of uh, just amazing, amazing information. Pages upon pages of NLP stuff. One of the things we study in NLP is strategies, and we have unconscious mental and emotional strategies for everything we do. One of the things, so we have strategies for learning, strategies for spelling, strategies for motivation, strategies for passion, for love, you name it, we got strategies for it. That what that, all that means is that in our brains, we go through a process under the surface unconsciously whenever we, uh, whenever we, we um, do anything. And making decisions, making decisions, I'm grabbing our camera here, is absolutely no different. Making decisions is no different. Perfect. So when it comes to making decisions, there's three major uh, secrets that I'm going to cover in the decision-making strategy. All right, ready? All right, option number one, uh, or item number one, is generating options. Oftentimes, the problem with making a decision is I don't feel like I have enough options, okay? Um, 
so I've said this before. If, if you have only one option, you don't have any options, right? If you only have one choice to make, you don't have a choice. That's just mandatory. It's necessary. It's slavery. You're stuck. Um, so if you only ha- if you think you only have one option, you're never going to feel like you're deciding to do it. You're always going to feel like a slave that you're stuck doing that. Um, oh, well, I don't have any money, so there's what, what choice do I have? I only have to do this. There's always a choice. The truth is you might not like every choice. In fact, the thing that you feel stuck by, quote unquote, might be the best choice with the options available. But make there no mistake, there's always options. So the first thing to do is look around and generate more options if you don't already. So if you have one option, you have no options. You're stuck. If you only have two options, that's not choice either, right? That's what we call a double bind, okay? Um, so, or you can call it a dilemma, right? You don't have choice, you have a dilemma. If you're sitting there going, oh, should I do this or should I do that? So what I like to do is I just right off the bat think to yourself, if I want to make good decisions, I have to make sure I generated enough options. My opinion, my humble little opinion, I think enough options is two, or sorry, three or more choices. See, if you made three or more, if you have three or more choices in front of you, now you have a real decision, a real like something to contemplate and think about. Um, so make sure if you have less than three choices, just rack your brain. What else do I have? What's another choice I can make right now? Um, even if I don't like it, like it doesn't mean you have to make it, but you want to put it on the table, even if it's just to get rid of it again. Does that make sense? Right? That's all you want to do. Um, so that's the first thing is make sure you have at least three or more options. The last piece of that, though, is sometimes people generate so many options, there's too many choices, right? Rania's right there saying, uh, exactly, generate three options or more. Sometimes uh, people have so many options that they get paralyzed and stuck, right? And this is what, what I'd call in, in NLP or neurolinguistic programming, I call it looping. So what will happen is they go, oh, I could do this. I could also do that. But what if I did this and I changed it to this way? And then what if I also moved into that? And then, oh, you know what else I could do? And what they'll do is they'll keep generating more and more options, never having an exit point, right? Never having a point where they feel like, all right, that's enough. Let me make a decision. And some people do this so automatically that even once they generated three, four, five, six options, instead of trying to narrow it down and go, okay, I got six. Let me break it down. Instead of doing that, they'll start their brain still is looking for more options. So if you're the kind of person that feels like you get stuck because you're looped in way too many options, you keep generating them, then listen to the next two secrets. We're going we're to get into how you represent those options in your unconscious mind and then also how to evaluate or decide whether or not they're good, right? So that might be the key. So number one is if you generate too many options, stop it. Like stop. Just stop generating options. Write them down on paper so you don't loop them anymore and go, okay, option one, option two, option three, maybe option four, and then you decide, you know what, that's it, that's enough for now, let me make my decision based on these four. Now, if you look at the four, or the three, whatever, and you think like none of these are any good, certainly get back into creative mode, into decisive mode, and think and, and generate more and find, and find the additional ones that you didn't get yet. So keep generating them until you get at least a couple of, uh, at, least, uh, at least one option you love, uh, hopefully more than just that. All right, secret number two. And this is kind of three. I gave you like a, a, a bonus pre-secret about being in a decisive state. Secret number one is how to generate more options. Make sure you have the uh, correct amount of options. Secret number two is representing your options. Now, my NLP nerd people are going to love this. If you've never heard about NLP, you've never been through uh, this NLP practitioner home study course that I have, um, man, like you're going to love this part. So just like bear with me here. So representing options. The way we 
representing simply means representing. Think of it as if you broke down that word, you could also not just say represent, but represent, right? You're, representing means you're representing something, but in your mind. So let's just say I'm going to buy a new car and I look at the car. Well, now I also want to represent that option of that blue car in my mind, in my mind's eye. So it's, it's up in my brain. It's not really out there. I'm not actually looking at the car any longer. I'm back at home and I'm representing my options to myself. So a couple of things that people do, and you might, mo most people have never even considered that this is how, uh, how we do things, but believe it or not, we do. One of the things people do with representing options is they, they have different representational systems for each option. And that might sound weird, but check it out. So I might be, for instance, for me, I'm highest visual uh, in my representational system. Some people are highest kinesthetic, touchy-feely. Some people are highest auditory. They want to hear, they want to listen, they want to talk it through. I like to see the options. So I'm really big on getting all my criteria or all my option possibilities in front of me, whether physically or in my mind at least, I want to do that so I can represent them uh, better. Some people though, you know, have you ever heard the term like, you know, hey, that's apples and oranges? Well, you know, that's talking about evaluating and representing criteria. So what if instead of apples and oranges, what if you were evaluating different kinds of apples? But the problem is, apple number one, you thought, do I like gala apples today? But in your mind, you visualized a gala apple. And then you thought, what about Fuji apples? And then in your mind, you thought, oh, I remember having a Fuji apple last week. And you remembered the taste of the apple and the juiciness in, on, on your mouth. And then you thought about, what's another apple? A red delicious apple. And when you thought about that, you heard the crunch. You heard the sound of the crunch in your mind, and that's what gave you that feeling of do I like it or not. If you follow me on this, the problem with this is you're evaluating three different options, three different apples. But each time, the first apple, you, you, you represent that option visually as a picture in your mind. The second apple, you represent gustatory or taste, right, because it's, it's the taste of the, the apple and the juice in your mouth. And the third option, the third apple, the red delicious, you represent in auditory, which is remembering the crunch when you bite into it. So believe it or not, we do do that with a lot of different choices. Um, you could, I'm just thinking about all different options. Um, you could compare two different pairs of shoes. The problem is though, one pair of shoes, the thing you like most about it is what they look like. So when you think about whether or not you should buy those or wear those tonight, you're in your mind, you're seeing yourself wear them, right? You see the picture of it. But another pair of shoes maybe is a little, they're cute, but they're a little bit uncomfortable. So when you represent that option, you actually represent that primarily through the feel, through kinesthetic, through the feel of the shoes on your feet. So what you're trying to do, if you follow me on this, you're trying to compare two different options with two drastically different representational systems, right? You're like, ah, oh, these ones look good. Those ones feel this way. Oh, which one's better? So Understand that if you just represent them in different systems, it's already, you're already making it really difficult on yourself to compare accurately. So what do you do? If you re so just first ask the question, how am, I, how am I imagining this? What am I thinking about when it comes to this shoes, these apples, whatever, the car? Um, and then make it really make a concerted effort to put them all in the same system. So go, no, if I'm going to think about these three different apples, I want to think, how does each one taste? That one tastes this way. This one tastes. The Red Delicious tastes this way. Okay, I'm going with the Gala. That one tastes best. You see how easy that was, right? Where you might be at the grocery store going, oh, and I realize you're probably not going to be indecisive over apples, but maybe you are, right? Right? Come on, let's be honest. I mean, how, how many of us, seriously, have sat at Sprouts or whatever and be like, I don't know what to get. Which apples do I want this week? 
Now, if you're laughing at apples, trust me, we all have our metaphorical apple somewhere. Whether it's the car, it's the house, it's a job, it's um, it's whether or not we should have Netflix or Hulu or what should we chicken or fish or you know should I, I put my son in this tutoring program or that thing or something different over the summer? What should we do? All decisions this applies to. Okay, so that's number one. The second part in representing options is sometimes we represent the options. Ready for this one? We represent options with the wrong background. So let me explain. Um, most of our options got generated in our minds in a certain environment. Okay, so let's go back to the apples, and I'll you know I'll probably kick around. I'll talk about apples and cars the whole time. Maybe shoes too, because I like shoes. Um, I got my Converse on right now. If you can see that in the camera, if you're on Facebook, oh, I'm showing you the bottom of them. Anyway, they're cool Converse. The point is, um, I'm gonna talk about apples and cars and shoes. So let's just say you. Uh, this is some I did recently. So I went on a camping trip, and we're camping and climbing. I went to the grocery store, and I was shopping for apples. So in the context of ramping up for a camping trip and having trail food, right, or something, you know, to eat as a quick snack, when I thought about my option of that particular apple, I thought, oh, excuse me, oh, green apples. Now, it's funny thing is I don't like green apples. But when we went camping, I like green apples because I'll eat some cheese, I'll eat some green apples. Uh, what else do I have with that? So, some salami, you know, like I'll, I'll, you know, I'll cut it up with my knife and I'll just have these apple slices. A little, it's a snack thing for the afternoon, and I like that when I'm camping. Um, not as much hiking, but nonetheless, you get the idea. So that's how I generated the option. When I think about Granny Smith apples, I thought about it in the context or the environment of shopping for camping. Problem is, what if later on now I'm shopping for apples for uh, lunchtime just during during the week, right? For me and for Val. Um, what might happen is, as I try to represent the Granny Smith apple, I still have the background of a camping trip. Does that make sense? Right? Uh, by the way, you can comment below if you're live on Facebook and you can ask any questions you want. I'm going to try my best to look at them and maybe even answer them while we're here. Uh, but definitely please comment below and let me know if it's interesting. Let me know if it's stupid. Let me know if uh, it's not making sense or if you have any individual questions. Or let me know if you like Granny Smith apples. Either way, I'd love to hear from you. Uh, so the the Granny Smith apple option now has a background of or an environmental context in my mind of camping trip. The problem is today that context isn't relevant, right? It's not relevant because I'm not going camping. I'm at the house. So when I try to think of, of, of Granny Smith apples, I'm representing them with, uh, with Joshua Tree in the background, but I'm not going to Joshua Tree. It's not relevant. It's not going to help me. So now when I think about it, I have no way to evaluate whether or not it's a good apple to have because the context where I ate them, the where and the when and the why, is no longer valid. It's no longer true. So what you have to do, we have to be able to take options that came from an old environment and update them as our environment changes, right? Um, clothes you have. What, you know, what if your weight changes? If you gain or lose 20 pounds, you can no longer represent the option of that pair of pants, that shirt, with the same environmental background, right? The same context. Because I'm imagining myself when I was 20 pounds heavier or lighter. The truth is, today, what should I wear? Well, I have to change my option and bring it into today's context, today's environment, my weight today. Um, do you, uh, we, we moved, uh, we move quite, quite often. We, my wife and I, we just follow, you know, God's will. And sometimes, uh, we move every year, sometimes every couple years. Um, but the funny thing is, as we move from house to house, sometimes there's a great space for a pot rack hanging from the ceiling. Sometimes there's not. And we bought this amazing, awesome pot rack that she like Lola loved to pieces. And it was perfect for the house we were in. Then we moved houses and we said, where should we put our pots? And I said, what about the pot rack? And she looked around and went, well, no, in this kitchen, 
There's no space for a pot rack. It doesn't fit. And now we looked at this pot rack that was a really good option, but now it's a terrible option. We put all our pots and pans in the drawer of that house. We moved to a new place where we are now, and we looked above the sink and said, you know, why don't we put a pot rack right above there? So as the environment changes, you got to change your option background. So that pot rack with the option background of the new house makes perfect sense. But in the old house, it doesn't. Does that make sense? All right, I hope you're following that. Last and not least, let's get you out of here. Option number three, or secret number three, as it were, is a problem evaluating options. And this is pretty simple, but again, it's something that people so often don't do, it's not even funny. Um, so the third secret is we have a problem in how to evaluate. And all I mean by evaluate is figure out if that option is a good or a bad choice for us. Um, we don't know. And I'll give you an example that happened just today. So Anna and I, uh, Anna works in the office at Evolution. Um, Anna and I went to do a site visit on a hotel. And if you know me, obviously I do, uh, we do a lot of events and all the live events we always rent hotels for. So we've been with a particular brand for a while. Um, and then we've been trying out a different brand for the last event. And we found ourselves in this place where we have an event coming up in July. So it's three months away. May, June, July, oh geez, two and a half months. Anna's going to kill me. Two and a half months away. And, and we're locking down the hotel. Now, as I look around, every time we have an event, every date, there's different availability in different hotels. In this particular one, there's one that we've been to, another one that raised their prices on us, so we didn't quite feel good with that. And then there's a third option that came up that was a brand new hotel we haven't been to before, and we toured that one today. So when it comes to evaluating criteria, what I found is we're looking at these hotels, and I thought, man, I like this one for these reasons, but it also doesn't have this. You know, Maybe the parking is more expensive here, but I like the entryway there more. And then this one is a bigger room, but that one has a better layout. And this one, you know, and if you, if you relate to that conversation, what it means is, is constantly you have multiple options, but each option has good and each option has bad. How do you decide which option to go for? Well, this is the last part is evaluation. So a couple of things. Number one is every option, or before you go to your options, when it comes to what decision you want to make, you have to do what we call prioritize your criteria. Now, make this really, really simple. Criteria is a fancy word for you. You've probably heard or used this before, right? Hey, my criteria for this is, it's really a, kind of a logical way to say what's important to me about this is. If I'm going to go buy a printer, what's important? Well, I want it to have Wi-Fi. I want it to be color. I want it to be a certain pages per minute. I want it to be in a certain price budget. And, and the funny thing is for hotels, I didn't actually have this for a while. And I realized today, I said, this is why we can't make decisions. I can't make decisions because I'm not, I'm not eating my own cooking, right? I teach people how to make decisions, and, and I haven't done this process on our hotel budget. Isn't that crazy? So I, I broke down and I brainstormed. I, I asked this question. You can ask the same one. I said, so Anna, what's important to us in selecting a hotel? And we came up with nine different criteria, right? So there was, it's got to be within the price budget. That was certainly important. I also said, uh, and I'm making these up a little bit. There, there's a list out there I should have brought in with me, but uh, for the most part, I got it. Um, there was uh, uh, the, the price point. There was in the list, um, what was the other thing we had on there? It was the, the layout and flow of the room. So for sales and for teaching, I want to make sure that like how where the stage is. We've been in rooms that are really narrow and long or there's massive pillars in the way, right, for people. Um, or the last room we were in was really, really wide and only went three rows back. So that was kind of bizarre. We had four major sections of 100-something people around. Um, so, so the layout of the room was really important. 
Then we talked about the layout of where the room is in the hotel. Is it uh, upstairs, around the corner, back in the back, and you have to follow elevators and, and hallways, or was it right there in the entryway? We talked about what else is important was parking price and parking privileges, in and out or not. Um, and we hit all these different things, right? I hit prestige and, and niceness of the hotel, right? How nice or how not nice is it? And uh, we talked about flexibility and attitude and culture for the staff. That actually is something that's really important to us. You know, we want people that can work with us. And if we have a last-minute change or, hey, we need 20 more chairs or, hey, would you mind maybe fixing this for us? Whatever it is, we want someone who can go, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll figure that out or no problem. Or, gee, I'd love to, but I can't. We don't want someone who goes, oh, what, what do you mean? Oh, no, this – no, this is the only way we can do things. We want flexibility. So I wrote all those down. The next thing you do after you write down all the criteria is then you want to prioritize them, right? So actually put them in the right order um, of what's most important. And sometimes that's a hard thing to say, but, but I had to, you know, I had to say, okay, of all these, what's the most important? And I came to the conclusion that the truth is um, the budget was the most important. I said, if it's not in the budget of the price range, we can't, I don't care how nice it is. I don't care how great the parking is. I don't care how perfect the layout is, or how nice the people are. If it's 20 grand a day, we're not renting that hotel. So we put budget price at the num as the number one criterion or the number one uh, value of what's important in, in selecting a hotel. Then we went through and said, what else is important? I said, well, we want it to be prestigious and nice, but we also want a great layout. So I asked myself this question. You can try, to, try this too. If you have trouble figuring out which one should be next in, in order, you can say, if I could only have one and not the other, what would I go for? Right? So if I could only have a good room layout, but it wasn't as nice, would that be okay? Or could I have something that's really nice, but not a great room layout? Would I prefer that? And, and the answer is really obvious to me. I said, gosh, I want it to be nice. Excuse me, but if I could only have one, I'd have to have a good layout. For me, I need to make sure that, that the sales and that the, um, that the teaching and the, and the entire experience, the tables, you know, I just need to make sure the layout's right. If the layout's right, I can make everything else work. So the first one was budget. Second one was room layout. Third one became prestige and niceness of the hotel. And beyond that, we got to other things like, you know, their flexibility. Was, oh, was it in my rewards loyalty program, right? Because I'm part of SPG and Marriott, which uh, merged together. Um, you know, so is that important? Yeah, because at first... At first, we were looking for hotels that were only Marriott or SPG, which I, I prefer certainly because we get points and, and statuses and all that kind of stuff, so I want to stay loyal to it. But what happened is we started, I started running low on options because they did, those weren't the, the best options for right now in this season. So what we had to do is when we reevaluated, I realized that, you know, the loyalty program, as important as it is, it's number six on the list. It's not number one. So why would I shop for hotels based on, on loyalty? right? I thought price was more important, location's more important, um, room layout's more important, right? And yeah, Ray's saying, uh, she just put on Facebook that she's experienced a double Dutch way of decision making before. And, and right, isn't that hard when you go, well, there's only one, or there's only two options. So especially when it, come, when it comes to these hotels, I want to have more than just two options. Let's have multiple options. And uh, so, so I looked at each one of the hotels and, and now I can look at the hotel and I can look at my criteria list and I can say, okay, Hilton over here, what do they have? Well, yes, it's in the budget, check. Next thing in line, does it match this? Does it match that? Does it match that? And I can realize, wow, this one only ticks three out of the 10 or nine boxes. And then I look at another hotel and I go, well, this one ticks more, but the lower criteria. So what I'm looking for is simply the option that ticks off the most criteria in the highest order, okay? The most criteria in the highest order. And then what'll happen is even if your choice isn't perfect, <laughs> Because when in life is our cho are our choices perfect, right? I mean, they're just not. 
So even though your choice isn't perfect, you can still make a good decision, a quality decision, and feel good about it, right? Based on whether it says yes or no. The last thing I'll leave you with on the evaluation is the idea of sometimes what you need to do with criteria is evaluate them or, or judge them uh, sequentially, one after another in order. So again, back to the, the, to the hotel. And it turns out, this is weird, I didn't talk about shoes anymore, and I didn't talk about cars anymore. Isn't that bizarre? I know. I, I, I thought for sure because I, 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 I like them both, but I stuck with apples and hotels. So anyway, even though it's apples and hotels, you know, it's still, we're still talking about the same thing here. That, that, was a, that was a really bad joke about apples and oranges. So I hope, uh, I, hope I didn't frustrate you with my terrible punny humor. I'm getting better. All right. So let's peel back another layer of this apple <laughs> on sequential criteria. Let's finish that piece on sequential criteria. Sometimes you need to be able to look at each criterion on its own or each, each value on its own. So what you, what I'll do if I'm still having trouble making a decision, I'll look at the whole list, make sure I have at least three hotel options, right? Or three Apple options or more. I'll look at the whole list and then judge everything just by budget first and go, okay, if budget's most important, that means they have to fit in the budget. Where are these? And then I'll decide high or low. Even if it fits in the budget, it might say the budget was, I don't know, say it was $5,000 and you have options that are $2,000, $2,500, and 5000 You might still go, you know what? As nice as that one is, these ones are all in a really good budget of two to 3000 That one's much higher and you can actually cancel that option off even before you get to the rest of them. Just, just cancel the first one, you're done. Then you look at the remaining options and you go to criterion number two. So I'll go, okay, let's look at the room layouts. And we look at just the room layout itself. And what you might find is you can carve away another option because that room layout sucks. Of the two remaining, those both have great room layouts. Now let's look at the prestige. Which one is nicer? Or which one is closer to the airport if that was more important for you? Or which one has better parking? Or do they have their own equipment we can use? Or how, how, how tasty is their food? Or how nice is their staff? Or whatever yours are. You want to go one at a time sequentially rather than simultaneous, which is at the same time, right? You don't want to try to evaluate everything at the same time. If I'm trying to buy a, you know, I'll do a car. What the heck? So if I'm trying to buy a car and I go, well, I want good gas mileage, a great price, a really good look, and a comfortable um, drive. And I look at six different cars and each one has different elements, right? I go, well, that one, you know, gosh, that, that one drives really, really nice and it's really awesome and it's beautiful, but it's expensive. And this one's affordable, but the gas mileage is bad. And this one has great gas mileage, but it's ugly. You know, what do I do? Well, let's go back to the drawing board. Get your criteria list, put them in order of importance. What is the most important thing? What's next? What's next? What's next? Then you can look at the whole lot and go, you know what? If gas mileage is the number one important thing, as beautiful as that sports car is, bye-bye, right? You got to get rid of the ones that are no longer good options because they don't meet the first criteria. Then you go to the second one, right? Rather than looking at all of them at once and getting confused and overwhelmed, you look at one at a time. And then eventually what will happen is you'll knock away options until you're left with one solid choice, undeniably the best choice. Now, the one thing I didn't cover, and this is for you individually, the one thing I didn't cover is your spiritual or emotional desires and an intuitive self. So notwithstanding that, specifically, this is more of a, of a mental um, strategic decision-making process. I'll add in just kind of as a final, 
something that like my wife and I always do. If we have a big decision, we always pray about it, right? We always come together. We pray. We seek, um, you know, what we believe, right, is God's will for us. And we're listening um, and, and desiring to hear from God what to do. Some of you might, uh, you know, tap into your intuition, decide, okay, what am I supposed to do in this decision right now? And then you might, you might go, you know, logically, I know that all these things match, but my gut tells me this. So that's up to you. You can always still go with your gut. You can always, of course, follow spiritual guidance. You can follow intuitive guidance, whatever, however you desire to do that or however you see that. Um, this is more the, the, the mental aspect of it, okay, of how to do that. Oh, someone's joining us here. You coming in? Come in. Hey, Val just got in here. Shut the door, bud. All right, before we sign off, before we sign off, I just want to uh, say hi. Come here, son. What's going on? You want to say hi? We're on the podcast. Just say hi right in here. Hi. Say, what's going on today? No way. What are you here for? Are you visiting the office? Yeah? Is mom here at? for Deeper. You're here for Deeper? That's a great thing. At 7 o'clock, we're starting Deeper with our church, and uh, which is really cool. It's going to be a night of worship and ministry. That's fun, right? A lot like church. It's a lot like church? A little different, though? Yeah, it's gonna be fun. So we're gonna be from seven to eight doing that. So I gotta get running to take care of uh, take care of that. Have some fun with uh, my family and the church people. Oh, Rania says hi, Val. She's on Facebook Live right now, watching us. See you right there. Said hi, Val. Yeah. So that's you, but that's the camera up there. Do you see the camera right up there? See it? That's it. All right, guys. So thank you so much for listening. Thanks for watching. Love you guys. Take care. Have an awesome, awesome day, Val. Say, see ya. See ya. See ya. Bye.